the innovative CIOs recognize that technology infrastructure is not sufficient to add strategic value to the company. Hello and welcome to episode 75 of Chaos and Rocket Fuel, the Future of Work podcast. I'm Doug Folks, and this is the podcast that's all about the future of work. It's brought to you by Wanda, and as always, I'm joined with my co-host, Claire Haydar, who's the CEO at Wanda. We're busy chatting to Michael Crixman. Claire, tell me, what are we going to talk to him about in this second section? Hi, Doug. Good to be back with you on the second segment with Michael. Um, flowing, you know, from that first segment where we looked at the role of the CIO in the future of work, we really started getting down into the practicality of what it's going to take for these really future forward thinking CIOs to really start collaborating with the people function as well as the operations function inside the company. One of the things that really resonated with me that Michael, you know, brought up in this conversation was specifically the fact that it's not about the goal of the CIO. It is ultimately about aligning the work of the CIO and any other C-level function with the goal of the organization. And naturally, digital transformation and specifically transformation around how we work is very much top of mind and top of agenda right now. And so we looked into what that is and what it's actually taking on the ground to make that happen. Yeah, we also had a very, quite a long section we spoke about the difference between cloud native companies and more established companies, which I thought was interesting. It was very fascinating to to delve into that, you know, and as Michael pointed out in that piece of the conversation, it's it seems so obvious on the surface, but when you actually start digging into that, it it literally is two different types of organizations that need two totally different types of um, goal sets, KPIs, people teams, um, types of employees, technology stacks. It's just, it's two totally different companies and really critical for CIOs to, to understand that. Claire, I'm going to stop you there because I don't want any spoilers. Uh, let's hear what Michael's got to say. Good, looking forward to it. Michael, from my perspective, from my sort of maybe more simple viewpoint, where do the CIOs need to stretch themselves to overcome some of these hurdles that you've spoken about? And these are probably things that didn't even exist just a couple of years ago. Well, that's a, a, another really, really good question because to some extent, I've been talking about both practice and theory. And I think that for, for some organizations, for the, the, the most mature organizations in these domains, the way I've just laid it out really is how it should be. And, and it's what the practice is. But in daily practical life, it's not always that easy for many different reasons. For example, some organizations have a bias where they perceive the CIO as being, oh, you know, that tech guy or that tech woman. And there's not an easy invitation for the CIO to be part of that conversation, that employee conversation, that customer experience conversation, that revenue conversation, which is where these folks need to be. And that's just one example of the kind of practical hurdle that 
may exist in some organizations. In other organizations, there simply may not be the resources to hire the technical depth that's needed. And the, and the CIO may need to be kind of a jack of all trades. And when that happens, you know, if the email system's not working or the cloud connection's not there, whatever it might be, of course, all attention is going to turn there. And the problem happens that if there is a breakdown, if projects are not delivered on time, if there's some type of breakdown, then the CIO will lose credibility. And that makes it even more of an uphill battle for the CIO, for the technologist to become involved and highly engaged in the business conversation. Michael, I just, yeah, I want to weigh in there. I, I can definitely confirm, you know, because if if I look at the work that we do as a company, those two particular issues that you've just highlighted there, the first two out of the three that you mentioned, they play out in almost every single conversation. You know what I mean? Where you either have a company that has chosen to hire in a more senior capacity on the people side of the business. So you have a very, very progressive human resource officer or a chief people officer, and you have somebody, as you've said it very eloquently, has just been siloed to like the tech person. And they're not able to stand as an equal to this very executive level people person. And then we ask, we see the reverse in companies as well, where there isn't a distinction between the CIO and the CTO. Those roles are sort of bundled into one, which means that the person is extremely, extremely like pushed in terms of resources and their own limits from time because those two roles of the internal functioning of the organization versus the external functioning from a technological perspective is a huge load for any one human to carry, you know, with their team below them. And then organizations who have chosen to focus in hiring there tend to have what I would call just an administrative HR function in the company. So they don't have somebody that they're bringing to the strategic table saying, okay, this is not just about payroll processing and, you know, leave processing and things like that. This is actually way more than the typical HR functions. There's an experience that needs to be designed here to your point that leads back to actually achieving company outcomes. Well, there's a difference in sophistication among companies as well as among CIOs. The more mm. sophisticated companies, which tend to be the larger ones, not always, but, but in general, tend to be the larger companies that have more resources, they can allocate folks to really think through these strategic issues that you're describing. There's another issue here which serves as an impediment or hurdle or an, an obstacle, and that can be, and I feel pain as I say this, but not all CIOs have the experience and the background to go beyond the technology aspects of the role. And if you think about the way CIOs are trained, at least historically, it's been a very internal, heads-down, technology-focused role. And the background of folks traditionally, CIOs traditionally, historically, have come out of, you know, out of tech without a lot of training and experience in communication and, and the business. 
I think that's that's definitely changing, and it's also part of a generational shift as as younger people come in that that's changing. But but I wouldn't I wouldn't ignore that aspect either. Michael, this actually segues beautifully into the next question that I have for you, which is the difference between cloud native companies versus established companies. This is a very big part of your work. It's a huge area of your research and highly relevant to this conversation that we're having. So before we go into that, can I ask you to just give us a basic definition of the difference between those two so that everybody understands what we're talking about? And then can you walk us through how the employee and the employee experience differs in both and how that touches the role of the CIO? Cloud native companies were born during this period where we all use cloud software. That means that they've built the company around collaboration. They've built the company around using cloud-based services. They've built the company around the idea that mobile needs to be central to the operations. So a cloud-native company doesn't have the baggage of old processes, existing processes. There's no concept of, well, we're not going to use collaboration software together. We're not going to find ways to work together that make it easy for us to be in different locations. So that's a cloud-native company. In contrast, established organizations typically were formed before the age of the cloud. For example, I not too long ago spoke with the chief digital officer of Ingram Micro. They are they have 35,000 employees, 50 billion dollars in revenue, their major book distributor. Well, they're not cloud native. They are an established organization. They have established lines of revenue. They have established business models. Very importantly, they have established ways of working. And so to build in digital transformation for them is a major strategic undertaking. Whereas a cloud native company doesn't need a chief digital officer, for example, because they're already digitally transformed. In other words, they started out being digital. Yeah. And Michael, I can bring this home, you know, before I, I send it back over to you to to answer the rest of my question for you. But the way you've described it is is really, really a perfect description of it. And I can give a practical example of when I was, so let's just get some timelines right here. I graduated from my undergrad degree in 2006. I had literally been this generation that had, you know, functioned with a mobile and I had been introduced to the very early like cloud technologies that we all consider just everyday technologies today, you know, like Microsoft Teams and Slack and all of those type of tools, you know, the very beginning of those, I was introduced to them and I just, as a young graduate, I couldn't fathom why big companies couldn't see how this could make work possible. You know, that I didn't have to go into a physical office to get my work done. I could, I could do it from everywhere because 
a mobile phone was available to me and these technologies were available to me. But to the point that you're making, business was so established and so ingrained in those early 2000s that that concept of moving away from an email-driven on-site in an office where teams are working predominantly with email being the main driver of work was really hard for people to conceive. It's worth just very briefly going back again in time to that transitional period. The, the reason that it was such a challenge for large established companies to make this kind of transformation was because they had millions, if not billions of dollars invested in technologies and processes that existed before the cloud. And to adapt those technologies to be as simple, as straightforward, as frictionless, as sometimes you hear that term, in use as co compared to uh, cloud native companies or companies born in the cloud, that technology transition was just, it took a long, long time. It's still taking place today. But then you have the cultural dimension, which is this shift in mindset. Folks in your generation, as you were just describing it, Claire, you expect that there's a, a kind of, uh, I, don't, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, there's a kind of blending between what happens at work and what goes on in, in your home life. And the technologies are very similar, if not the same. But at that time, there was this real distinction. You know, we had our work technology and we had our home technology and the two were separate. Yes. And interestingly enough, and I think this is the other really important thing to highlight, Michael, with this thing is in that like very, very early stage where this huge shift happened, we were not where we are today, where the technologies that were being used in the work environment were far more sophisticated than the technologies being used at home. And so that's part of why there was this drive in terms of they were not yet consumerized. So, you know, you had to go to a workplace to use these really large you know, enterprise resource systems, et cetera, you know, with all of their protective mechanisms in them, like their firewalls and everything like that, in order to get your work done, and then you would come home. And part of that huge shift was all of a sudden where everything flipped and these technologies became really consumer friendly. And so now you actually have the opposite where it's way ahead on the consumer side and actually lacking on the enterprise side in many ways. Yeah, we have the recognition now in the enterprise that consumer technology is what consumers expect. And consumers include our stakeholders, they include our partners, they include our employees. And there is this expectation among all of these consumers, our employees and so forth, that our work technology should be as simple and easy to use as the technology that we use all the time when we go home. And companies recognize that. You know, the born in the cloud companies, the cloud native companies, they don't have this problem because the technology they're using is cloud-based. It's already there. But for the larger companies, it's still an ongoing challenge, but certainly 
everybody knows this. Everybody's aware of it. The software vendors are trying to put out software that's easier, that's modeled on consumer software. So it's this is not a big secret, but there's a huge weight of history, tradition, investment, and processes, and culture, and mindsets that fight again. You know, look, we people, we don't like change, and it's changing how we do things, changing our technologies, changing the relationships that we have to, you know, collaboration. All of this it, it, for for established companies, especially large companies. It's hard, it's expensive, and it takes time, and it's and it can be disruptive. And we hear, we talk about disruption as being this great thing, and yeah, disruption in markets is great because we get new technologies, new business models, new products, and so forth. But no one wants to be personally disrupted, or very few people do. You know, I just want to get my job done. You know, it's like, listen, I come to work at nine, I want to do my job, just leave me alone, and then I want to go home. Exactly, and I want to watch Netflix. And that deep dive into cloud native and established companies concludes part two of our conversation with Michael Crixman. Check out part one if you haven't already on Spotify, Google or Apple Podcasts or on the Wonder website. That's WNDYR.com. We'll conclude our chat with Michael shortly. But for now, from Claire and myself, we'll see you soon. Thank you.